This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. It is a pleasure to be with you today on Getting to Know Your Bible, and we do appreciate those of you who are watching at this time. I appreciate especially those who may be watching today for the very first time. We have those who watch every time we come on the air, and we'd appreciate your encouragement on getting to know your Bible. Now, today on our telecast, our subject is entitled, Strange Things to Our Ears. You may wonder, is that a Bible subject? Yes, indeed. Oh, I hope you'll stay tuned. Now, today on our telecast, we're, we continue to offer the free Bible Correspondence Course, and I want to emphasize that it is free, and we'd like for you to have it along with thousands and thousands of other people have already taken the course. We want you to be a part of it, and we're going to pause for just a moment so you can learn more about the course and so you can learn how to receive it. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214. I'm reading now from Acts chapter 17, beginning with the 16th verse, and I'll be reading through verse 20. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens... His spirit was provoked within, within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile wor worshipers and in the marketplace daily and with those who happened to be there. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him. And some said, What does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak, for you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore we want to know what these things mean. I, I want you to imagine with me the city of Athens. It's an impressive city in so many ways. The, the buildings there were nicer than most. A and you could spend days in Athens just looking at all of the works of art. That there were men of learning in Athens, they were just in abundance. And Paul and his com uh, companions came to, to Athens, and they came with a message that was strange or was new to their ears. And the people said, you're bringing some strange things to our ears. 
What were some of those strange things that were brought to their ears? Well, first of all, I no doubt it was strange to hear that man could be too religious. In verses 21 and 22, the Bible says, For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were, uh, who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. And then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, therefore the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. And so Paul said they were just being a little too religious. You see, to worship all of the gods that were in Athens was to be too religious. It has been said that it was either, either easier to find a god in Athens than it was to find a man. And the Athenians erected altars to the known gods, and they even had an altar with this inscription to the unknown god. Perhaps they were fearful they might be leaving out one they did not know about. Being fanatical is just being too religious. You know, sometimes people can take the, even the Bible and they become fanatical with the Bible. So sometimes people can become fanatical about something that is innocent in of itself, maybe even innocent entertainment. I once knew a man who thought it was a sin for an individual to attend a baseball game. Well, to me, that's just being a little bit too religious. That's being fanatical. Sometimes there are people that go overboard on certain things. They, they think it's wrong for a woman to wear cosmetics and jewelry and maybe it's some other kind of decent apparel. And they're being too religious. But when Paul began to talk to these people, he explained to them that they were being too religious. I believe the King James word, uh, Version uses the word superstitious. But then it was strange for them to hear of the true and the living God. Listen to him in verse 24 and following. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life and breath and all things, and is made from one blood, every nation of men to dwell on the, all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, and so that they should seek the Lord in hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he's not very far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, we're also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art, and man's devising. It was strange, no doubt, to them to hear about the true and the living God. In verse 24, Paul explained to them that God made the world, and indeed He did. The heavens declare His glory, Psalms 19 and 1. 
And in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. But also in verse 24, Paul explained to the Athenians that God does not dwell in temples that have been made with hands. They had temples all over Athens. But he wanted them to know that there was a God that was not confined to a temple. And then in verse 25, he explained to them that this God is not worshipped with their hands. And then in verse 26, he explained to them that God is made of one blood, all men on the face of the earth. In other words, all nations have just one God. It's not uncommon today for people to say in some quarters, well, you have your God, and I have my God, and other people may have their God, and we all worship whatever God we see fit. Well, the fact is, folk, there's only one God. Paul in Ephesians 4 and 6 says, there's one God who, who is above all, through all, and in you all. And in verse 26 of Acts 17 says, He is the God who has set the boundaries of our habitation. But it was also strange for them to hear that God is not far away. I'll go back to verse 27 again. And you listen to what Paul says to them. So that they should seek the Lord in the hope they might grope for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. He is not far from each one of us. No doubt that was strange, strange to the ears of those men in Athens. You see, the one true God is not a million light years away like some might suppose. He is so close it's breathtaking. In verse 28, we're told that man walks and he lives in God. In Him we live. In Him we move. And in Him we have our being. And likely that was a very strange thing to the ears of these men in Athens. And as Paul talked to them about the true God, he explained to them that man is a descendant of God. He's been made in God's image, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. And in verse 29 in Acts 17, he says there, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Yes, God is not very far away from any one of us. Oh, you may have the idea that God is millions and millions and maybe billions of miles away from man, but He's not far away from every one of us as I speak. So these things sounded strange to the ears of the men in Athens. Can you imagine here are people that were pagans, Worshipping idols. And here comes a stranger into their community telling them about a God they don't know anything about. And you have to keep in mind, these men were very highly intellectual men in their own view at least. 
And yet when Paul talked to them about the unknown God, and he talked to them about all of these things, they said these things are strange to our ears. Do you suppose that these are the last people and the only people for whom the gospel message seems strange? Do you suppose they're the only people that have considered the message of the Bible strange? May I suggest to you there are a lot of people today that consider certain things in the Bible to be very strange. It's strange to their ears. It's strange to the ears of some to hear that the Bible is the inspired word of this God that Paul preached about. But all Scripture we're told by Paul in 2 Timothy 3 is given by inspiration of God. And that simply means that it is a God-breathed-out book. It's not inspired like some piece of literature on your bookshelf might be inspired but it is inspired of God by the Holy Spirit. Peter said that holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And so that might seem strange to some people to suggest that the book that I hold in my hand is the the written down words of that one true God. That might seem strange to your ears. And it might seem strange to the ears of some people that that God that Paul talked about in Athens loves you. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That might seem strange to you to know that there is someone who loves you and that God loves you. He loves the whole world. He loves all men everywhere. In Romans 5 and 8, the Bible says, But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Fact is, God loved us so much that He allowed His Son to come into this world and to live a life of poverty and rejection and finally go to the cross of Calvary as a sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice for the sins of the world. And the truth is, if you had been the only person who'd ever lived, God still loved you enough that He would be willing to sacrifice His Son that you might be saved. In Galatians, the second chapter, in verse 20, Paul wrote, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ that liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Listen to him now. Who loved me who loved me and gave himself for me. That's how much you're loved. 
This God loves you so much that He was willing to give His only Son. And you know, to the people that don't really believe in God, that might seem strange to their ears. And to people who think that God is some kind of a tyrant, that He's some kind of a monster, if that's your conception of God, to hear that He's a God of love, might indeed sound strange to your ears. This God is not only a God of love, He's a God of mercy. He's a God of mercy, and I'm so thankful that He's a God of mercy. In Titus, the third chapter, in verse 5, the Bible says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but, but according to His mercy He has saved us. And He is a God who is rich in mercy. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4. But He's not only a God who is a loving God and a merciful God, His love and His mercy is exhibited by His wonderful grace. He's a God of grace. Ephesians 2 and 8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith. The men of Athens could be saved by the grace of God. Just like you can be saved by the grace of God. We are saved by His grace. Well, someone says, what does that mean? Well, grace simply means unmerited favor. Grace is God doing something for us that we were not capable of doing for ourselves. We can't save ourselves. And God devised a plan whereby you and I could be saved from our sins. And in order that we might take advantage of His offer of grace, the offer of salvation, we must obey His command. Noah saved by God's grace. Genesis 6 and 8 says that Noah found grace in the eyes of God. God was going to destroy the world with water during the days of Noah, but Noah and his family were saved the destruction of the world by God's grace. But there was something Noah had to do to be saved by that grace. He had to build an ark. And he had to build the ark like God told him to build the ark. And when he built the ark, as God told him, Noah and his family were saved by grace. And today, we can be saved by his grace if we do what that God tells us to do. That might sound strange to you, that this one true God loves you wants to save you, and has made provisions for your salvation. You say, well, Brother Lambert, what should a person do to be saved by the grace of God? Let me read just a few verses to you from Paul's epistle to the Romans. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. These people had been saved by God's grace, by dying to their sins, that is, repenting of their sins, by being buried with Jesus Christ in baptism, baptized into the benefits of the death of Jesus Christ, and then they were raised to walk 
in the newness of life, obeying a likeness of the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That may sound strange to your ears, but that, my friend, is the truth of God. Yes, it may sound strange to talk about a God of love, a God of mercy, a God who wants to save us by His grace. To talk about God to the men of Athens was strange. Just one God, because they believed, and many gods. It sounds strange to some people to say that Jesus Christ is, is the Son of God. That's strange to their ears. Or oh, they believe He lived. They even believe that He died. But that's all they believe about Jesus. But to suggest that Jesus Christ is God's Son is strange to the ears of some. Jesus asked on one occasion, Whom do men say that I the Son of Man am? And Peter answered correctly by saying, Thou art the Christ, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus Christ is God's Son and His only Son. And it was Jehovah God, it was this God that Paul talked about to the men of Athens that had this to say about Jesus. Found in Matthew, the 17th chapter and verse number 5. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye Him. Well, really what God was doing there is putting His stamp of approval on Jesus. He was saying, I want you to know the one called Jesus. This, this one is my Son. And I want you to listen to Him. I want you to pay attention to Him. That sounds strange to some people's ears. It might sound strange to some people to suggest that the church, as it is described in the Bible, belonged to Jesus. That sounds strange, doesn't it? Today, there are all kinds of religious organizations, and many of them wear the name church in the title. But, but it might sound strange to suggest that the church that we read about in this book belonged to Jesus. Now here's the reason that I suggest to you that belonged to Jesus. He bought it. He purchased it. In Acts the 20th chapter and verse 28, the Bible says, Take heed unto yourselves and all the flock, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God which hath purchased, with his own blood. And so the church was purchased or bought with Jesus' blood. And if he bought it, why doesn't it belong to him? You know, Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, I, I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And why would not be his church? If he paid the price for it, it belongs to him. It's his church, Christ's church. 
And so that might sound strange to some. If we're going to speak where the Bible speaks, if we're going to be silent where the Bible is silent, if we're going to refrain from adding to the Bible, taking away from the Bible, let's just be content to refer to it as Christ's church, His church. You see, that might sound strange to your ears. And it might sound strange to some people's ears to suggest that they need to give their lives to Christ immediately. You know, as a rule, people today don't like to be told what they should do and what they should not do. And be it far from me to try to tell people to do what they do not want to do. I conduct a lot of gospel meetings. Some refer to them as revivals. And in, generally in those revivals and those gospel meetings, I will make some statement like this, that I'm not trying to get someone to do that which they do not want to do. But I want you to do what is right. And I know giving your life to Jesus is right. I know giving your life to the Lord is right. And living for Him is right. And we do not have forever to do right. And so I know that it's a personal decision one must make. But I'd urge you, with all the fervency of my heart, and all the love of my heart, to not put off the making of that decision until tomorrow. The Bible talks about today. 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 2. Today is the day. Today is the day of salvation. That might sound strange to your ears to suggest you need to do something today. Man is prone to put off to, until tomorrow. You remember when the plagues came on the land of Egypt and one of those plagues was frogs, frogs everywhere. And Pharaoh came to Moses and he said, entreat the Lord for me. Well, what do you want me to do, Pharaoh? He said, get rid of the frogs. Get rid of the frogs. Can you imagine getting in your bed at night, putting your foot on an old, cold, slimy frog? And so Moses said to Pharaoh, when? And Pharaoh said, tomorrow. Why in the world would he want to wait until tomorrow to get rid of the frogs? It's just because we're prone to put off until tomorrow what ought to be done right now. And so it might sound strange to you to suggest that you become a Christian immediately. Have some servant of God immerse you into Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins immediately because Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. That ought not to be strange to the ears of someone who wants to do what Jesus said. Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. I want to thank you for watching today. And until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you, is my prayer. Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, 
Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama 36580 or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bible.